0: Sometimes when we choose a wildly important goal and the behaviors that drive it, we're not only going to achieve the goal, but that's going to pull a lot of other things along Mm -hmm. with it. When the guest experience is getting better in a hotel, I promise you, revenue's getting better, profitability's getting better, market share's getting better. It pulls it all with it. It's not always the case, but it often is. We -hmm. choose the right goal, it can make everything we do go to a new level.
1: So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership, and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at Club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hammond, your host. You no, know, I think it was in 2012 or 2013. I got about a five-minute email from one of my friends, and it was on the four disciplines of execution. I devoured it, watched it probably 20 times, went on to read the book and it has made a profound impact on me personally and in many of my businesses. It's an honor to introduce to you all Mr. Jim Hewling. He is one of the authors of the number one worldwide best-selling book The Four Disciplines of Execution which I know many of you have read and implemented into your own organizations. He's now the 40X Global Managing Consultant for Franklin Covey for over 13 years. And prior to that, Jim was serving as CEO that was recognized four times during his time as one of the 25 best companies in America to work for, a very prestigious award to win. We cover the 40X, but we really dive into just execution as a whole. This was an incredible conversation. I know that you're going to want to take a lot of notes and listen to this episode twice. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jim Hewley. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at DirectClicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. DirectClicks Inc works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating /AB split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in-depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the DirectClicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you ready to get out of the daily rut and begin working at your highest level? Coach P Consulting will help you do just that, using the same strategies he did to sell over 500 life insurance policies in 2020 and on track for over 600 life insurance policies in 2021. No, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look at the behind the scenes team training and an office performing at the highest level. Coach P currently has a 100% retention rate for everyone who joins. And hey, those numbers speak for themselves. Coach P will train your team alongside his own to show you the exact steps they are taking to achieve Chairman Circle in two agencies, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club. So whether your goal is to be the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and tactics to get you there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level. His strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at CoachPConsulting.com and get 50% off your first month of coaching when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Again, that's CoachPConsulting.com.
0: Jim Healing, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you, my friend. I am excited to be here. Always excited to talk about the four disciplines of execution, but particularly here with a group of people that I'd like to be able to say, I think I know well, you know, I've keynoted a number of the conferences, some of your listeners, as well as a couple of the national meetings. So it's a little bit like coming home today. Thanks so much.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. Okay. So before we get into 4DX, we always start with background and origin story. So a lot of people actually may not know your story and how you ultimately made it to the Franklin Covey organization. So why don't we got to go back in time and tell your origin story?
0: (laughs) When you say back in time, people that are listening won't be able to see the difference in our ages, Bradley, but I could actually biologically probably be your dad. So I won't go as far back as I'm Capable of going back. But I would like to go back maybe about 15 years because I've been in business 44 years. I've been in the leadership business 44 years. And 11 of those years, I was privileged to be CEO of a really, really fine company. And it turned out to be a technology consulting and staffing company. And I was the CEO of that organization in 2001. Now, it's a small memory test for your listeners to say, if I say technology in 2001, does anybody remember what happened, right? Is Absolutely. anybody thinking train wreck? You know, <laughs> I mean, literally, we can maybe laugh a little bit about it today, but nobody was laughing in 2001, mm-hmm. it was a crisis. Mm-hmm. And a significant percentage of our competitors went out of business. Everybody who was using any technology or consulting services put a halt on all of that. I mean, it was truly a time when none of us were sure we'd survive, you know, the coming months or, or even years. And so there I was, a CEO of an organization where the not the company, but the industry had literally fallen out beneath us. And we were starting the long and challenging, I guess I would say emotionally, road back to try to regain our customers, regrow our business, reestablish ourselves in the marketplace. So in other words, we had the mother of all execution challenges. How do you rebuild in a time yeah. when... The services you provide are no longer in demand or at least not justifiable economically, and so I came face to face with this challenge that in order to come back, we were not going to be able to use the playbook we had used in order to grow the first time. You know, the old Marshall Goldsmith expression, what got us here won't take us there. It's really, I wish I'd said that. It's really a true thing. And there was no genius in this either, Bradley. I mean, this was pretty obvious, you know, but I realized we were in a real difficult position. And it was about that time that I heard a quote from Stephen Covey, who's one of my great mentors and leaders. And I hope everybody listening still thinks with great reverence of this profoundly impactful man. But he made a statement in a speech that hit me. It was right at this very time. He said, if you want to achieve a goal you've never achieved before, you simply must be willing to do things you've never done before. And Bradley, I had two reactions to that statement. One was that might be the most profound thing I've ever heard because that's Mm -hmm. exactly my world. I've got to get this group of people to be willing to do something completely differently for us to have a chance of achieving something differently. But Mm. the second reaction I had was, it's a little bit frustrating that you make that sound so simple because Mm. getting human beings to do something differently, Mm. that's really about the hardest challenge a leader will ever face. So I've tried to say this quickly, but if you've got, you see the intersection I was at, we cannot make a comeback unless we're willing to do something differently. And the single greatest challenge a leader ever faces is getting human beings to do something differently. I mean, I mean, for goodness sakes, it's hard enough to get ourselves to do something different, isn't it? I mean, Absolutely. think of the graveyard of New Year's resolutions, Bradley, that scatters all across the globe. You know, two years ago, I had one to run a marathon, and I think I made it to day six on the training program. That was that's about it, right? So in yeah. other words, if getting ourselves to do something different is incredibly hard, well, what does an agency owner or a leader of any team how does that feel when it's not just you you've got 10 12 14 50 100 people you've got to get them all to do something different so that moment honestly was the crux that led me to interact with some wonderful people at franklin covey who were working on a set of ideas. It was really in its infancy at that moment. You today know this set of ideas as the four disciplines of execution. At that particular time, there were only two disciplines and the program wasn't even called 2DX, it was called Aligning Goals for Results. But it was in essence, discipline one and four. And there was something just magnetic about this, Bradley. So I got my whole team to rally around 2DX, we might say, uh, Discipline 1 and 4, and we began to drive those two disciplines like people who were obsessed with coming back. And it literally transformed the organization. And we Mm -hmm. literally not only came back, we went on to double the size of the organization, just riding on those two disciplines. And Mm -hmm. in all that time and to come to the end of this brief recap, I got to work very closely with the people at Franklin Covey. And we sort of collaboratively came up with disciplines two and three so that at the end of our journey together, there were four of these practices And the practices were so profound and they'd had such a profound impact on my life that it was the most natural thing in the world for me to say, you know, my future lies with this methodology and Mm -hmm. with the great people still to this day, Bradley, the greatest company I've ever known or been associated with the the Franklin Covey organization to, to have the joyous experience of being a part of that. So 13 years. As of this month, I've been the global managing consultant for all of Franklin Covey, and of course, the uh, co author of the two versions of the four disciplines that are out now. So I hope that wasn't too long, but that should yeah. catch everybody up and born out of crisis, celebrated in a, a period of great achievement. It's a wonderful story.
1: Am I right in also saying that the 40X? methodology also has some roots inside the seven habits of highly effective people. Is that true?
0: Yes. And you know, the most dangerous thing anybody ever does is get a Franklin Covey person talking about the seven habits because we would need a three-hour podcast. But I promised you I'm going to be brief about this. But yes, in fact, let's say something even bigger. I don't think there's anything ever developed by the great people of Franklin Covey, of which I humbly include myself that doesn't have its roots in the seven Mm -hmm. habits. Dr. Covey planted a great oak tree, (laughs) and a lot of us have had the privilege of being a small branch off of that tree. It still continues to this day. And so if you know the seven habits, habits two and three are the ones that you could literally trace the genealogy of every one of the four disciplines right back to those two habits.
1: Well, we'll have you back on and we'll talk about seven habits at a time. You just
0: promised. You promised publicly that I'll be back.
1: (laughs) Happy to do it. Okay. So before we actually get into it, we're going to kind of go over all four of them and then we'll kind of dive into each one. But I want to ask this kind of overarching question. So I heard this several months ago and I've been repeating it since. Ideas are everywhere. Implementation is everything. Now we could just substitute execution for implementation. Why is execution in any organization so hard?
0: I think it's the most pivotal question all leaders should be asking right this minute today. Never known a time in my 40 years of leadership where we needed it more. So I'm glad you brought it to the front of this. And why is it so hard? Well, first of all, let's go right back to something we've already said, and then let's move beyond that. But the thing we've already said is that in order for any team any person, any organization to reach a new level, they have to be willing to do new things. And if you think about it very simply, this is also true in life, that every next level requires a new version of you. I have a really good friend who jokes that, so does that mean this is the 6.0 version of you, Jim? Yeah, it probably does, right? So every new level of your life requires you to reinvent yourself, to upskill yourself, to find new insights. And you can't just run the old playbook every single year and expect the results to grow with you. But at the heart of that is this thing we've already said. If you want to change the playbook, you've got to get the players to use the new plays. And just to put it frankly, Bradley, you know, most of us don't wanna change. (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. comfortable with the way we do things today. We've had success in the past with the way we do things. We're a little uncertain of whether the change will work. And no matter how you look at it, it seems like it's gonna involve more hours and more headaches, but it's incredibly hard to get people to change. So that's what's really at the heart of it. But when you come all the way back to the very thing you said to me a few minutes ago, I love that quote that you just gave. I have a corollary to that quote, which comes from a brilliant thought leader in the United States named Ram Charan, where he said, strategy without execution is hallucination. And I think that's the real trap. I think leaders are in love. I remember now, I'm 44 years in leadership, so I have nothing to say that doesn't apply to me. But leaders are in love with strategy because strategy is beautiful, and it's clean, and it's neat, and you're up in the clouds. You're envisioning everything you want to do, and you're sort of seeing it in your head like a Spielberg movie. It all works in your head. You see everybody working beautifully and cooperating and being passionately engaged and And that's why we love strategy. And haven't you ever done this? We make a set of PowerPoint slides. We present them to everybody. The whole leadership team just says, oh, man, we've done it. And then tragically, they walk away and say, well, the hard work is done. All you guys have to do now is execute. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) And that's the real challenge. The beauty, the euphoria of creating a strategy versus the dirty, gritty muddy part of actually executing. It makes me think of this quote, you know, uh, Mike Tyson had a quote that said everybody has a fight plan until I hit them in the face. That's the best summary of your question that I know. Everybody has a strategy until they get hit in the face with what it takes to actually execute, especially to execute with excellence on any given strategy. So that to me is the real dilemma. And frankly, it's the reason Chris and I wrote this book. We were trying literally to speak to that very challenge right there and show people not how to make a strategy. You do that, but how to execute whatever strategy you happen to have developed. That's so
1: true. You know, we were talking before. We're both college
0: football fans. Jim is <laughs> on the other side
1: of the aisle from me as an armor guy. hes He and his family have a long lineage with Alabama. Auburn's going to come up with a strategy to try to beat Alabama this year. And, you know, at the time of this recording, I'm not sure. But I mean, you know what? We don't know if we got the Jimmys and the Joes to go actually execute that against all the five stars. But no, that it actually is really good point is that you never go into a year in business and say, you know what? I just don't think the strategy is going to work. I mean, at the end of the day, we all have three ring binders or PowerPoint (laughs) slides that we've had of like this this is oh, it. Right? This, this is, is our the year.
0: And to make it even worse, you know, we have a kickoff party and we buy pizza and we have t-shirts made that say, this is the year. We jazz our whole team up over the greatness of this strategy. But most of us, and I don't mean this in a critical way, we then don't know what to do after yeah. that at the same level of excellence that we built our strategy. We don't have an excellent playbook for execution. We have authority. We know how to make everybody's role clear. We know how to frighten people a little bit with that there will be consequences if they miss their objectives. We know how to sort of manage the organization, but we don't know how to bring that same level of passion and drive and purpose to our execution that we were oftentimes able to build into that strategy. And honestly, this is where I think a lot of leaders lay awake at night saying, I don't know what's wrong. We've had a great strategy Mm -hmm. We had a kickoff party. Everybody's wearing the T-shirts, but nobody's doing the new thing. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think
1: for our listeners, one thing that you're not saying, Jim, is that you're not saying that strategy and coming up with a business plan for the year is not valuable. You're not saying, hey, so stop doing that. No, it's like you got to have that, but then you just got to be bolted on with actually what is yeah, the execution right. plan. And of course, we're going to dive into that now. That's so why don't you give for people who have not read the book, and I, I shared this with you before, I mean having you on and talking about the book has been one of our most recommended episodes. But for people that are not familiar with the 40X methodology, why don't we kind of go high level and then we can pull it down to I level.
0: Let's do the whole thing, man. That was great. That even rhymed. How about that? I think I'm going to borrow that phrase from you. Yeah. So high level first, the four disciplines of execution are disciplines that are based on something deeper. They are based on principles. And if you don't mind just the 30 second soundbite, principles, the idea of principles, this was Dr. Covey's most constant theme with all of us, that you build your career and your life and your way of doing things around principles that are like bedrock. They don't change with the times. They're not subject to the economy. They don't care what's happening in your particular politics in your part of the country. It's like gravity. They are always timeless. And Dr. Covey used to say, you can fight against them, but you'll only break yourself on them because they are always there. They'll be there long after we're done. So the four disciplines, are based on four profound principles. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to speak to those as well uh, in the way we do it. So the very first principle is the principle of focus. Now, in the four disciplines, that gets translated into a practice of focus on the wildly important. And we could go a long time on this. It might be valuable to your listeners, but we'd miss discipline three and four. So I'm going to go quick today. But in its simplest form, discipline one says that you can only do something extraordinary on one goal at a time. You can be good at a lot of things. Maybe you even come near greatness on a couple of things. But if you're talking about a breakthrough result, a growth in revenue that we've never had before, an increase in market share, unprecedented in our business, a level of customer satisfaction and testimonial that is literally generating the new business for us in the coming year. I'm talking. If you're talking about a breakthrough result, you can really only do that on one thing at a time. Mm. Now, before anybody of your listeners who's driving their car or eating a hamburger turns us off and says, well, wait a minute, that's not realistic. I'm not saying you only have one goal in fact, no organization can run on only one goal, I don't think. But we are saying you have to do the courageous thing of saying this particular goal is more important than all these others. Mm. So we still have an accountability to the others. We still have operating metrics that we know we must hit to have a healthy and a growing business, but we can only do one extraordinary thing at a time. So that's why discipline one says focus on what is and if this name seems a little cheesy, sorry, wildly important, meaning so special that the results will be disproportionately impactful. And if we miss the big one, we won't be able to celebrate all the little ones in quite the same way because we missed the one that mattered most. So if that makes sense to all your listeners, we are narrowing our focus down to one wildly important goal and committing to treat it differently than all the others. I think this is so
1: great because there's a few things you said. A couple of words to me that will really stand out. Number one, disproportionately. Okay, disproportionately. Number two is that you have to be courageous and actually choose which one of those is going to stand out. Because I know of some people that have implemented wigs, but they're all the same. They're saying, like, here's my seven wigs. okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings me to the question I have is it seems to be one of two things. One, a business owner is too general. And they won't actually be very specific and say, this is our goals. Or number two, they actually have too many of them. They try to do 27 things. So it's one or the other. They're like, well, we just want to grow. So it's too general. It's not very specific. Or they have 72 of them that they're trying to execute on. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years of experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a state farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant marketing solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm.
0: Yeah, you remind me of a very old teaching that still stands up tall today, I think. And it says, if everything is priority one, what's really priority one? Yeah. Well, every leader in the world knows the answer to that is nothing. Nothing is priority one. So what a legacy to leave behind you. Jim was a great leader, I think, but nothing was ever really priority one for him. That's not the legacy we want to lead. And that's not what produces results. But I'd also like to issue a very friendly and gentle challenge to all your listeners. If you're hearing Bradley and I talk about this right now and you're thinking, well, that's not hard that's a pretty good sign you haven't actually done it. And my least favorite call that I get, Bradley, is a client who's 12 weeks into their 40X implementation who says, gosh, Jim, we love 40X. It's just incredible. And we love it so much that we've made everything a wig. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to start over. (laughs) Something was missed, right? So this courageous willingness to put all the roulette chips on one number in terms of what matters most, Mm. that's discipline one, and that's how you get started. And in the interest of time, my friend, I'm going to push on because otherwise we could have a whole episode about discipline one, I think it might be good. Discipline two requires me to really fast, give you a tiny little bit of terminology. In the four disciplines, we believe there are two kinds of measurements that drive performance. One of them we call a lagging measure. And this is usually the scorecard on whether you're hitting your goal or not. You're, in this language, your wig, wildly important goal, W-I-G, are you hitting your wig? That's a lagging measure. And it is a lagging measure for the simple reason that it is always behind us. Take, for example, Bradley, What month are you usually in when you know your February profit number? Hmm. You're usually in March, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, in other words, you can't look at that profit number without looking behind you. Mm. It's a little bit like driving a car by looking in the rearview mirror because Mm. it does not take you forward. It's important. I'm not saying that, but it doesn't drive performance. And It's one of the great misconceptions in the world, I think. The sales leader gives you the total sales number and thinks that's going to drive all the behaviors needed to drive sales. It simply doesn't. What you need is the second kind of measure we call a leading measure. Now, Mm -hmm. a leading measure is the measurement of the actions or behaviors that drive the goal. So, for example, if your goal was weight loss, my least favorite subject, your lagging measure would be what you get every Saturday morning when you step on the scale. Mm -hmm. But the number you get on the scale is not a forward-looking number. It's the representation of what you did last week, right? It's behind Mm -hmm. you. So what you would need to be successful would be a leading measure. You would need to be very accurate that you held your calories to a certain number every day. You'd want to be very accurate that you burned a certain number of calories a week. And those two measurements, calories consumed and calories burned, would be leading measures. And the more you were consistent at reaching your standard on those the more you would ultimately say, I don't even actually have to get on the scale. I know I'm doing all the right things. So leading measures drive the lagging measures. So with that little bit of terminology, discipline two is to act on the leading measures. Now, I, only one other word of explanation. You help me stay on track and on time, my friend, because obviously I love this subject and could talk about it a lot. Leading measures are not just any actions that drive a goal. If you said to a sales leader, Your goal is to increase sales by 17% this year. What are you going to do to make that happen? Every sales leader in the world could tell you 21 things, better Mm -hmm. face-to-face meetings, better collateral materials, pre-agenda before we go see a client, 100% follow-through on all commitments made during a meeting. I mean, oh, every sales leader in the world could give you 20, 30 things. But the harsh truth is that only two or three of those really drive the result. The rest are just part of a process. Remember the old 80-20 rule, 20% of what you do produces 80% of what you get. That's really applicable in lead measures. Only a few of the behaviors you and your team do drive the disproportionate amount of your results, the 80% of your results. So the hard task of discipline two is figuring out what those few behaviors are and then being willing to double down on those behaviors as the real drivers, the real game plan, if you will, for how I'm going to achieve the goal. Even if you're driving, it's not a complicated concept, but it's the doing of it that's hard. So for example, we worked with a very large hospital, in fact, with the fifth largest hospital in America who had a terrible problem. Their operating room accidents were going up. Now, most people don't even wanna know that accidents happen in an operating room. <laughs> That's true. But believe me, ladies and gentlemen, they do. Good people sometimes make mistakes. And they had a problem, they were rising. The percentage of what are called perioperative incidents in the hospital kept going up and they couldn't find a way to stop it. No matter what they did, they did training, they did information, they did all kinds of things. They couldn't make it stop. So they brought us in to say, is this a performance thing? Can you help us? And we did because we found a single behavior that would not only stop the progression, it would bring the accident rate back down. And the behavior was a second audit of the surgical tray and a verbal confirmation of everything about to be done before the incision. So in other words, here's a small behavior, but it brought the operating room accidents number down by 17% in 90 days. So hmm. it's a beautiful example of a lead measure. I'll just tell you one more quick one. We worked with the largest hotel company in the world who was trying to drive up their guest satisfaction. And you and I know that um, one of the one of the most important aspects of any hotel stay is having a clean room. A lot, a lot of other things are important too, right? But if your room is not clean, there's no good score coming from you or me, I think, right? So the organization said, well, we do 27 things every time we go in a room. We we Febreze the drapes and we vacuum the carpets and we wipe all the surfaces. What can we possibly do more to make the cleanliness score go up? And after a couple of focus groups and some dialogue with guests, we found, now catch this because this is stunning. The single biggest driver of the perception of cleanliness was the bathroom mirror. It's the most visible, it has the brightest light on it, it's in an area of the room where people are hopeful it is clean. So in other words, this organization decided that they were then going to triple clean every mirror every day, three times. Three different cleaning products, three different rags, a triple cleaning process for every mirror while still doing everything else the same way. And at the end of every day, they gave every mirror a score. And the housekeepers were even competing to see who would win the mirror award for the day. But in that very year, guest satisfaction went up 26%. Wow. And they did a lot of great things. Now, I'm not trying to tell the story as though this was the only thing they did, but the one thing they did differently was double down on the behavior. That was most predictive of cleanliness, of the perception of cleanliness. So take those two examples. And if you're driving or you're taking notes or you're thinking about your own team, once you've chosen the goal, think about what action or behavior really has the biggest impact on the outcome I want. If you're in sales, that might be face-to-face meetings. If you're in retail, that might be how you greet, welcome every customer and offer to help them. If you're in the hospital business, maybe it's about patient communication or clinical excellence. But you think about what are the few behaviors that really drive that result? And excuse me, you've got discipline two all nailed down. So
1: far, so good? No, that's perfect. One of the things I was just thinking about regarding that hotel is that that probably drove up their net promoter score, which ultimately is a predictor of people coming back. And so I'm sure it actually, (laughs) that cleaning mirrors has a direct result to the top line and probably the bottom line too.
0: I love what you just said. I mean, you really hit an advanced topic on 40X. I wouldn't have even thought we'd get to that today. And I'm so glad you brought it in is that sometimes when we choose a wildly important goal and the behaviors that drive it, we're not only going to achieve the goal, but that's going to pull a lot of other things along mm-hmm. with it. When the guest experience is getting better in a hotel, I promise you revenue is getting better, profitability is getting better, market shares getting better, it pulls it all with it. It's not always the case, but it often is. If We mm-hmm. choose the right goal, it can make everything we do go to a new level. All right, let's get into discipline three. Discipline three, I'm just going to apologize right now. It's my favorite discipline. Its impact on the team is my favorite impact. I would never say I have a favorite child, but I'm willing to say I have a favorite discipline. So you're gonna hear it in my voice. Uh, Discipline, so let's recap real fast. Discipline one was about focus. Discipline two, I'm not sure I used the word, but it's about leverage. It's about finding the thing where I can put in a little bit and get out a lot of result. Invest a little energy, get a big result back. That's what we call leverage. Discipline three is about engagement. Now, if your listeners are taking even the most cryptic notes, you might think about discipline one, you might write the word what. What is it we're going to achieve that's extraordinarily important? Discipline two, you might write the word how. How are we going to achieve that? And the answer to that is these critical behaviors done at an excellent level. Discipline three would be the discipline of why. In other words, discipline one and two tell you what you ought to be doing and how you ought to be doing it. And they're really, in essence, a mental oriented discipline. Discipline 3 is a heart oriented discipline. Discipline 3 takes your team to a place where they not only know what they're supposed to do and and know that it's their job and like any adult if they don't do their job the best results won't come. Everybody knows that. But what you're looking for on extraordinary results is something beyond that. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast today you want your team to not only be compliant you really want them to be committed you want them to care about this goal, you want every single person on your team to be able to drive home in the afternoon and say, you know, I did something important today and this goal we're trying to hit, it's not just a number for corporate, it's something that matters. It's, we're gonna make a difference when we do this. And you really want them to drive home with this sense of, we can win at this. I bet we would all be staggered if we knew what percentage of our own teams don't feel they're playing a winnable game. They're going through all the motions, They're trying to do everything we ask them to do, but in their heart, they do not believe it. They don't believe this is a winnable game, the way it's been set up or the way it's being executed. And think about day after day after day. How do you drag yourself in the office to play an unwinnable game? That's one of the worst versions of being alive I can think of. Right. So discipline three solves that. But it solves it in a really remarkable way. Now, this is where my bias is coming out. One of the biggest discoveries, I think Chris would say this just the way I do, uh, the biggest discovery, we've both been 15 years thinking about one thing predominantly, execution. We were stunned to realize that the way you keep score changes the way people play. No, whoa,
1: whoa, no, whoa, 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 Hold on, on say you gotta say that again. The I way say you that keep yes, score. Sir. That was really good. The it way you change
0: the way people play. And let me confess for a moment, you know, I'm an old CEO. I'm 44 years in leadership. Most of my life, I thought what matters is the performance And oh, by the way, we'll keep score. I would have even said to you, Bradley, if you were my consultant, I said, don't worry about the scorekeeping. You know, we'll put up a spreadsheet or something, or we'll have one of our assistants just keep some notes. We'll keep up with where we are. But right now, I want you to help us focus on the performance. Well, if you've read the four disciplines, you would say, I can't help you with performance until you listen to me about how you keep score. Because discipline three is to create a compelling scoreboard. And compelling is the big word there. And gosh, I wish we could just all agree that most dashboards, scoreboards, whatever, spreadsheets, whatever you got, do not pass the test of being compelling. If you doubt that, when is the last time somebody on your team said, hey, could we take a look at that spreadsheet, boss? We just love that thing. Could you bring it out? You know, it's never, never, right? So the whole idea here is that we allow a team to build their own scoreboard. Now, If you're driving, I hope you didn't just run off the side of the road. Like, what? What did he say? Yeah. We want the team to build their own scoreboard because we want the team to say, that's our board. That's Mm. our scoreboard. This is not the corporate scoreboard. This is not the region's board. This is not something you did, boss, and just handed to us. That's ours. We built that. And I wish we had time today. Someday, perhaps we will. If I showed you photographs of what these teams would build, you'd be stunned. You wouldn't always think of it as what you or I would do it professionally. We'd bring in a graphic designer, we'd have the company logo in the upper left-hand corner, you know, right? And these people put objects from their work, they put their own photographs, they choose a team where the Alpharetta Eagles, they put themselves onto that board. Mm. And when they do that, something extraordinary happens. They start saying, that's our board, and after a very short period of time, they start saying, That's our score. Now, I don't mean to sound jaded, you know, but I think sometimes if I read one more book from somebody talking about how to get a team engaged, I think I'm just going to throw up because we miss the whole point. The whole point is everybody feels they're playing a game that's owned by their boss or by their company. And we want them to feel they're playing a game that's owned by them. It's their game. Because when you do that, I promise you this, people will start playing to win. Nobody wants to lose at their game, but they can reconcile losing at your game, but they don't want to lose their game. Yeah,
1: it's funny. It's almost like without us knowing it as leaders, yes. we present this idea that the team gets to play my game yes, and I need you to win. versus. Okay. My job is to help you win your game.
0: That's right. I mean, we sort of don't take this the wrong way, anybody. We sort of become the Jerry Jones of execution. We say, hey, listen, it's my game. It's my stadium. It's my team. It's my franchise. It's my logo. And by the way, you're my player. But go out there and play with all your heart, with everything you got. So
1: true. So true. Sports and business have a ton of parallels, and I think that they're really fantastic. But I think what you just mentioned right there is a really good example to where sports and business, there are a lot of differences between them, and we can't just apply it all all the same, right, at all, for sure. First Love of all, that. we
0: don't get to trade our employees, right? I can't trade you two of these for one of yours. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but this idea of ownership, hold on to that, because discipline three is the discipline of engagement. It's the discipline that yields a team of people who are engaged, and they're engaged because they feel they own the game, feel like it's Mm. their game. All right, one last one left. I'm going to speed right through it. You give me some cues if I'm going too long, but I want to be careful here. Discipline four is the most important discipline. Now, they're all important, right? But you would want the author to tell you if there was a disproportionate relationship even among these four, and there is. Discipline one, two, and three, and if you've only written down focus, leverage, and engagement, that's fine. They are the design of a game, but discipline four, which is the discipline of accountability, that is the game. In Mm -hmm. other words, discipline four is the playing of the game. It's throwing the ball and scoring the touchdown and blocking the player. It's everything you actually have to do in order to make them work. So one, two, and three are pivotal, but without four, you've just got a set of nice ideas that Your team will probably forget, just like you forgot your New Year's resolution last year. So discipline four matters. And the formal language for discipline four is to create a cadence of accountability. Now, the word cadence is the pivotal one because it implies consistent, systematic, forward move. It's sort of like an army on the march. And it basically says that we are committed to move forward on the wildly important goal every Single week. We're committed. Good times, bad times, busy times, slow times, times when people are out sick, times when the whole staff is here. Doesn't matter. We are committed to the regular, systematic cadence of accountability that takes us forward. Now, that's just the principle. Here's the mechanics, as we've done a good job, I think, on each discipline. Let's finish the last one with how do you do that? Uh, Discipline four, again, stuns leaders all the time, Bradley, because it involves holding a 20 minute meeting. Every single week. And don't send me any emails, please. Death by Meeting. I've read that book. It's a great book, by the way, but I don't want any more meetings either. I get it. You've got enough meetings. You hate meetings. You wish meetings would be abolished. I got it. But in this case, it's a meeting unlike any other meeting you've ever had. First of all, it only lasts 20 minutes, and there aren't many people listening to you and me, nor you and me, Bradley, that ever run a 20 minute meeting, right? 45 minutes to an hour is more like what we try to do, right? So it's brief and it's fast paced. But it's what happens in the meeting that matters. In the meeting, every single member of your team and you make a verbal commitment for the most important thing you're going to do this week to move the score. So now picture your team standing in a circle or sitting around a conference table, however you would do it in your place. And imagine one by one by one by one by one. Everybody says, well, I got two new people starting next week. So my commitment is they will both be fully trained by Friday. And they'll be ready for it to be on the production line a week after they start. That's my full commitment. The next person says, "We've all been having this system problem. It's affecting our work. So I've scheduled a meeting with IT. I'm going to help them see the problem, and we're going to get a fix in place by the end of the week." You know, so one by one by one, everybody makes commitment. Then the meeting's over. Everybody leaves. Comes back seven days later, and one by one by one, everybody says what they actually did. So I committed to get my two new people trained and up to speed, and I was able to get that done and they're out there right now making a contribution. Okay. Next person says, you know, I, gosh, I meant to get that meeting with IT, but they rescheduled and I had a conflict about (laughs) it. Well, imagine that moment, that person who said they were going to do something and then they didn't do it, but their accountability is transparent. It's verbal, it's public. And I want to be really careful now, anybody who's listening to this, this is not about Shaming that person. It's not about in any way making that person feel inadequate. It's not that at all. It's about saying if you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it, and Mm. the only reason you have for not doing it is because you were busy, well, you're always going to be busy. So, how are we ever going to get to the next level? We have Mm. to introduce this discipline. And part of how we introduce it is it's uncomfortable when you Mm. made a promise and you didn't keep it to the team. Well, what's key about this, and I'll make it my last comment and see where else you want to go with this. The difference is you're not making that commitment to your boss. Your boss is in the room and you care about them and you, all the regular stuff is in play. But in reality, you're making a commitment to the people you work with. Mm-hmm. And when you report out the next week, your boss is in the room. Of course, I'm not saying that, but you are in essence reporting to the people you work with. 52 times a year, you pass a test of whether you do what you say you'll do, whether you can be trusted to follow through on the things you commit to do. And in our software, we even keep a running track of this. We have a credibility score in our software. And every time you log in, there it is. You know, if you look at that credibility score and you see you're at 62 percent. So what you're saying to everybody who works with you is you can all trust me because a little more than half the time, I'll actually do what I say I'm going to do. Not going to happen, right? But you can also build that score by doing the simplest thing of all. If you make a commitment, you follow through on that commitment. Well, as simple as that sounds, that instantly takes a team to another level. And over time, this one practice drives trust. It drives respect. It drives a swagger factor. You should see teams that are 90 days in and have learned that they can really rely on the people they work with. We have one uh, client who was the CEO of the second largest pharmaceutical company in the world who wrote us a letter and he said, my people now walk with their shoulders back and their heads up Hmm. because they know who they are as a team. It's the CEO of the second largest pharmaceutical company in the world. My people know who they are. Their shoulders are back and their heads are up because they now know they can rely on each other. Well, it was this discipline that drove that. Now, it's no leap of the imagination to see how that discipline would be like rocket fuel to results, right? Whatever you said you were going to do. And this particular organization I'm talking about has to date made 7 million personal commitments toward their goals, and they have a 97% follow-through rate. Now, 7 million times over the last 10 years, 7 million times, human beings have said, this is what I will do. And one week later have said, I did it. You can't stop an organization that's got that kind of power and focus and discipline. Um, It does take all four disciplines to do it. You know, if you were trying to do this with 10 goals, it wouldn't work. If you didn't have your lead measures, so you were trying to do 40 behaviors, it wouldn't work. If you had a spreadsheet scoreboard that was hidden on your computer and we only looked at it twice a year, it wouldn't work. It takes all the pieces of the puzzle to make this work. But if you do those four simple things, You'll find out what 300,000 other companies around the world have found out. And I'm sorry if this sounds like a sales pitch. I don't mean it. I just mean it sincerely and enthusiastically that you can do just about anything. If you Mm. can bring these forces together and you can also create a group of people who will one day say, maybe the best time in my career, Bradley, was when I worked for you. Man, we really had it together in those days. What a team we were. You can create that kind of legacy along with your great results. I love it. You
1: know, it just brings the excitement of saying, hey, have your strategy, be the visionary entrepreneur, business owner that you are, but implement. Listen, I am not the most disciplined person myself. I love to think big and I love to dream and all those things. And we can stay in the clouds, but I can commit to a 20 minute meeting every single week to make sure that we're actually pushing (laughs) things through. All right. So I would obviously have so many questions. We're going to have you back. We're going to talk about seven habits. And we'll talk about uh, creating more of a school board and how to actually engage within the team within that process. But I do want to ask, when you look at organizations and leaders who get fired up, right? They read the book, it's handed to them Mm -hmm. and they're flipping through. They've seen some of the videos and they're like, yes, that's what we need. And so here we go. We rocket fuel 90 days into this thing and it's not there. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's where are the places? that you've helped small businesses, That's That's large businesses question. to wow. find, well, this is where I've seen it go wrong. Yeah. And this is the thing that I can tell you ahead of time. If you're going to implement 40X, you need to know this before you do
0: it. Oh, it's awesome. What a great question. And you know, I wish every leader was like you. I wish every leader that we engage with was so forward thinking. They would say, hey, before you leave, tell me the four things to watch out for <laughs> so they don't happen. And you know, the I should say by rights that Franklin Covey has a wonderful follow-on program where we teach the antidote to all the things I'm about to say, because that is common. That does happen. But right now, let me just give you a couple of the biggest ones that I think would be valuable to anybody listening to us today. And the first one, I don't want to sound harsh. I just want it to sound clear. No team ever rises above the level of their leader. And I'm just going to let that sit there, Bradley, just for two seconds. That's hard to take in. You will never lead a team that is more passionate about the organization or its mission than you are. You'll never lead a team that's more committed to quality than you are. You'll never lead a team that's more trustworthy or disciplined than you are. You won't. Even if they are better than you when you start, your example will eventually level them down to right where you are. So point number one to your question, and again, no harshness. I'm not passing judgment. I'm really talking about something I know personally (laughs) is... The level of excellence and commitment you bring every day sets the watermark for what everybody else will do. And by the way, the people who follow us as leaders, they have a right to say your standard is the standard for excellence. And you get a top performer who outperforms you, they won't stay long under that. You either got to raise your game or they'll go find a leader who can challenge them to go to their next level. So that standard you're setting, that's the real indicator of long-term success in 40X. It all comes back to what is the example being set by the person who's leading? Are you holding the meeting every week? Are you following through on your own commitments? Are you passionately engaged with what we're trying to do? Are you just going through the motions, boss? So that's number one. Number two, which is a little bit more tactical and might help a lot of people, is this thing about lead measures, this is hard. You can feel it, can't you? When I'm describing mm-hmm. it, you don't instantly know the two behaviors that would drive the greatest result. You don't mm-hmm. know that offhand. You've got to study that. You've got to do a little bit of trial and error, maybe run some sample tests in a couple of different places, see what works. And by far, when teams fail to get the results they were hoping for, they have chosen lead measures that are not predictive enough mm. for the goal. They might be good things to do but they don't drive the goal. You know, the clean mirror story I told you a minute ago, there was a group of leaders in that example who were very passionate that mirrors were not the answer, that the answer was leaving a handwritten card on every bedside table that says, you know, my name is Jim and I cleaned your room today and I hope I did it with excellence or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's a good thing to do. But you challenge yourself, does leaving a card make the room any cleaner? Does it actually get you to vacuum in the corners? I mean, does it translate directly into? Mm -hmm. No. What translates directly is clean the mirror three times with three fresh rags and three cleaning products and call your supervisor to give the mirror a score when you're finished. So you see the difference between a good thing to do and a driver of results. It's not understanding your lead measure, which of those two things it is. That's the second biggest area where people fall down.
1: I would say that I heard uh, a couple of years ago, and we've used it a lot, is we will use the word experiment. So we'll say, hey, let's do an experiment for 90 sure. days. We think that this is the lead measure that's right. because then that way everybody's commitment to it is like, okay, yeah, we think this is what it is. But if it's mm-hmm. not, we can change and pivot yeah. versus this is the thing and I only come to find out actually it's not the thing. That's and right. then you feel like you have to reverse course versus if it's an experiment mm-hmm. and then we end up deciding if it's gonna work or not. You agree oh, with that?
0: What a, so what a beautiful example. And And if you don't mind, I'm gonna insert the word humility because that's really what's in... You know, what gets in our way as leaders is this lack of humility, is the fear of acknowledging that we weren't right all the time. We didn't have all the answers. You know, every time I see a leader who has a game plan, which includes their lead measures, it's not working. And I say, you know, we need to back up and revisit this whole lead measure thing. He's like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that because I don't want everybody to lose confidence in the process. And I'm like, yeah. you know, the fastest way to lose confidence in the process is to do it eight or 10 weeks and get no results. That's the yeah. fastest way, right? So yeah. let's just back up and say, hey, we're not always right. Let's try something different. But the unwillingness to do that, I think, is what leads leaders to say, no, stay the course. And then running a play that doesn't produce results is how you lose everybody on your team. They'll, they can come to hate any process that doesn't work, right? Especially if you force them to do it.
1: I love it. I've got seven pages of notes, and I know our listeners are going to have a lot too. Jim, if they want to connect with you, your team at Franklin Covey, they want to learn more, obviously pick up the book, just point people to some resources for someone who is oh, wanting you. to actually implement this.
0: Yeah. So kind of you to let me do it right here at the end. So first of all, anything you want to know about the four disciplines or about Franklin Covey's, FranklinCovey.com. It's a wonderful website, a huge investment has been made by our company. Everything you could ever want to know about all of this is right there. There are videos, they're great to watch and they have great content on them. So I point you to frankincovey.com. And then uh, secondly, on a more personal note, if you want to know anything else about me, jimhewling.com. So J-I-M-H-U-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, that's my personal site. And you're always welcome to email me as an individual as well, which is just the same thing, Jim at jimhewling.com. And I'm also on everything. Bradley, you and I, we're connected everywhere, aren't we? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think we're on all those. And I put something out on social media at least three times a week about execution. So if you're interested in a sort of a non-ending stream of tidbits, find me on any platform and connect. It'd be my pleasure. And then you'll get a regular soundbite level of little ideas to keep you going on 40X.
1: I believe in that we as leaders are to grow so that we can go and make a difference in the world, make a difference in the lives of others. And so I just want to say it's uh, grateful to connect with you. Thank you so much for you making a difference in the lives of so many people around the world. I'm
0: honored. I was honored to be here. And if and when you choose to have me back, I'll be even more honored, my friend. So good luck to everybody. Good luck on all your wildly important goals. And uh, I hope our paths cross somewhere in life someday soon. Thanks, Jim.
1: Goodness, where do you start? On having a recap of that conversation. There were so many things that really stood out to me. I think number one is that at the very end when he said, hey, here's some of the things that I've noticed where 40X is just not having the adoption. And he said that he always started with yourself. We believe that you've got to lead yourself first. And he addressed that right away. No team ever rises above their leader. And number two is that the lead measures are just simply not predictive enough. I thought that was just incredible insight for somebody who has worked with hundreds, if not thousands of organizations of all different sizes to implement and just to have a life of the last 20 years or so focused on execution. The one part, you know, I mentioned in the episode where I said ideas are everywhere, but implementation is everything. I mean, we could use execution and replace of implementation. don't think it's so true. I mean, I have so many three ring binders of business plans that I have poured Literally hours and days into it. I know you probably feel the same. And why do you feel like this makes so much sense? Why are things not actually taking hold? And we're into February and you already realize that you're behind and you're not getting the adoption. And I think that ultimately comes down to, do you have these four disciplines of execution installed? And are we actually really doing, or are we just saying that we're doing it? It was just incredible conversation with Jim. You know, a few of the things that he mentioned that I thought were great was not just kind of rattling off the four disciplines, but when he said, hey, the focus is what, acting on the lead measures is the how, and engagement, having a compelling scoreboard is the why. And I had not seen it or heard it that way. Boy, that really stands out to me. And also just going back to whenever he was saying, hey, so many things from Dr. Covey, going back to the seven habits, everything is embedded in these principles, these bedrock, these timeless things that no matter what, who's president, no matter what economy we're in, they're always gonna be there. I think it was just an insightful conversation. I loved having him, and I'm definitely gonna have Jim back on in the future so we can dive deeper into the seven habits. We'll dive deeper into some of the more tactical things regarding 40X. I hey, always close with this, but truly so grateful to all of you for sharing the podcast and the feedback that I get personally. Look, my job's really easy. I tell all the guests before we get started that my job is just to bring out their genius and try to get out of the way. But I'm so grateful for all of you that have shared the podcast on social or with your friends via email. It truly has been an honor in my lifetime to hopefully get to serve you and bring incredible people like Jim on the podcast. As we begin to close out 2021, we're really excited about some of the guests that we have coming on. We've had some unbelievable people in 2021, but our guest lineup going into 2022 is incredible. So thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for listening. Obviously, we could not do it if it wasn't for our loyal sponsors that have been with us for so long. Direct Clicks, Coach P Consulting, Relevant, and of course, all of our partners at Club Capital. Fortunately, we've gotten a place that we can choose who are the podcast sponsors that we want to work with. And we have other people that have wanted to try to get in and be a sponsor, but we only want to work with the best. And that's what you'll get with DirectClicks, Coach P, Club Capital, and Relevant, who is also the owner of SF Agent Promos. Hey, if you do me a favor, whenever you reach out to them, just let them know that you heard about them on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, and they'll be able to give you a discount. I wish you all the best as you close out 2021 and going into 2022. Lead well.